Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, Senior Pastor at Maysville Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Our desire is to build the kingdom of God. We do this by loving God, loving others, studying the Bible, and serving the world. Now, get ready. Here's this week's message from the Word of God. What a joy it is to be with you today. I'm Shane. If you don't know who I am, if you're our guest, God bless you for being here. I hope you have your Bibles and join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're just kind of journeying together through this book. And uh, here we find ourselves in chapter 12. Paul is going to be dealing with the topic of spiritual gifts. And he's just kind of given some basics. Chapter 12 is some basic things. Uh, he's already dealt with the, uh, the preliminary basics in regards uh, to uh, the spiritual giftedness. And re- remember this, please remember, this is a corrective passage. Paul is correcting the church at Corinth on some things. And um, he's correcting them in light of some of the uh, misuses they were having in regards to spiritual giftedness. There was a tremendous amount of disunity in the church. And remember, one of the reasons why there was disunity is because where it was located... It was in Corinth, and remember Corinth is uh, on a little isthmus that connects uh, Greece and Archaea uh, together. And on that, on that little isthmus there, that you have to go through Corinth in order to get to Greece. Uh, you could go around, but the waters are very dangerous. It was so much easier just to go over. In fact, there's this little land bridge there in Corinth. They would literally drag the ships over that land bridge to get, to get them through to the other side. It's a fascinating little piece of land out there where Corinth is. You can still see that today on a map. It's, it's fascinating. But it also was the seat of Roman power. Uh, the providence of Corinth was the seat of Roman power. And therefore, you can, you can conclude several things from that, especially if you love history and study history. You'll know that, number one, first of all, it was uh, the richest uh, city in the area. It was, I mean, just pouring over with riches. It was the most powerful city in the region. And it was also the most immoral city in that region. There were countless number of uh, temples, uh, many, many temples, some bigger than others. Paul looked and said, you know what? There needs to be a church of Jesus Christ there in that, in that place. And so he planted that church. He spent a tremendous amount of time there discipling and then left and went on his missionary uh, journeys. Uh, when he is on his journeys, he gets a report from a lady by the name of Chloe in her household. Chloe comes up in the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians. Paul deals with those topics that came up with Chloe. Chloe and her household visited Paul and said, here's some things that issues the church is having. And Paul dealt with that. And we already looked at many of those. I don't want to rehash those. And then in verse number, excuse me, in chapter 7, Paul deals with some questions, specific questions that a delegation has come to him and said, Paul, what about this? What about Christian liberty? What about spiritual gifts? Uh, what, what about these particular things? And so Paul is right in the middle of answering a question about spiritual giftedness. And he's in the middle of his introduction. And so it, it's really a basic thing. And last week what we learned was that there were counterfeit gifts in the church. There were counterfeit gifts in the church. We, we talked about this last week in verses 1 through 12. And what we said was, when you study the history of Corinth, you'll know just north of Corinth was a city called Delphi. And in that city, there was a temple called Apollo. And in the temple of Apollo, there was a lady there, a prophetess. Her name was the Oracle. Uh, and I know that's it's funny because we hear that in movies and different things. But that was what they called her, the Oracle of Delphi. 
was actually her title. And she was very spastic in her delivery. And she would speak in an unknown tongue. And she would roll around on the floor. And she would do crazy prophecies, speak in a language by which she could only interpret. And uh, what was happening is that teaching, it bled out of the temple of Apollo into the other temples down in Corinth. Because everybody, if you were going to go north into Greece, you had to go through Delphi, and you had to go through Corinth. And so there was this natural sprawl that was happening in the area of religion. It was bleeding over into the temples. Paul noticed this and said, look, these are counterfeit gifts that she has. You don't need to be practicing them. Because what was happening is they were infiltrating the church. And then last week we also learned about the contrasted gifts where... Paul just simply said, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, all three are one. They're all involved in giving you your gift. And these gifts have a variety. There's a variety of gifts that God gives. And there's a variety of ministries to which you can use those gifts. And there's a variety of activities in which you can be a part and use your gift for the glory of God. And then last week, he finished it up by talking about nine very controversial gifts in Corinth. There were nine gifts that were being misused in Corinth in particular. Now, Corinth was such a bad place, those that lived there came up with a term. They used the term Corinthianize. Uh, if you were somewhere else in Rome or some, somewhere else in the province or in another city, and you were acting immoral, they would say, oh, they've been to Corinth, they've been Corinthianized. And so it was a very negative, immoral word. Nobody wanted to be called or being uh, referred to as somebody that had been Corinthianized. Uh, really what needed to happen is they needed to be Christized. They needed to be born again. And so Paul saw that, and that's why he planted this church here. So let's look in chapter 12. Let's begin in verse number 12. It's rather lengthy, but stay with me. I love the language of the King James here. Uh, he is going to use, let me say this before I read the text. He's going to use what's known as metaphoric language. He's going to use a metaphor here. Paul was a master of metaphors. Now, we hold to the literal form of interpretation. So when we read the passage of Scripture, we take the literal meaning, but listen to me very carefully at this next phrase. We apply the proper grammatical elements to the text. And so if it's a metaphor, we recognize it as being a metaphor. And what I mean by that is Paul is about to use an illustration to say the church is like, a, is like the body. It's like a body. And your body has arms and legs and eyes and nose and all these crazy body parts. Same thing with the church. Now, Paul uses in the New Testament four metaphors for the church. Let me give those to you real quick before I read this text. There are four New Testament metaphors for the church. Number one, the first one is the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. Paul wants to paint a mental picture in your mind of a relationship between a husband and wife. And he says, the church is just like that in, in Jesus Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And so he's wanting you to get that mental picture in your mind. To think about that. It's vitally important. And he uses that as a teaching element to teach us about what that relationship is that we have with Jesus Christ as his bride. Number two. The second metaphor that he uses is the church is the family of God. He again wants to put a mental picture in our mind. He does this over in 2 Corinthians 6.18 and also tells Timothy in, in 1 Timothy 5.1 and 2 that the church is like the family of God. And again, he's trying to get it established in our mind. He wants us to have a picture in our mind about a family. What does a family have? Brothers and sisters. Uh, has a father. Uh, family has a mother. And uh, uh, 
Uh, he's making this correlation, correlation, if you would, about the church being a family. Then number three, he uses a third metaphor in his teachings. And he uses the church of God as a building. The church is God's building. Uh, we know that at Maysville Baptist Church, God doesn't have a room out back. It's got a bed in it and a dresser and an ensuite and all that stuff. No, we're the, we are the, the church of Jesus Christ. But he's painting this picture that we're the church mobile. Wherever we go, that's where the church goes. And he wants us to understand that the church uh, is God's building. And wherever the church goes, that's where God's building is. <clears throat> and then number four, the fourth metaphor that we find oftentimes in Paul's writing is that the church is the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 17, uh, Ephesians 4, 12, Romans 12, 4, and 5. He loved this illustration. We find it here in 1 Corinthians 12 uh, as he's about to, about to give us this. Now, the reason why this is important it's important because Paul wanted to make the connection of body parts to, and, and, the, and how it affects the whole body. I don't know if you, you're like me, but my stars, you get a little, you get a little something happen right here, you know, and, and, and you get a, a stiff neck or what. Bless God, it'll affect your whole body. I mean, it will. I mean, it'll hurt your toes. It'll hurt your legs. I mean, and it's just one little place right here, pain in the neck. Uh, will hurt your whole body. So he, he wants to make that, that uh, connection, if you would. So the whole body, that is the whole body of Christ, was hurting because the church was engaging in three things, a misuse of spiritual gifts. And he's going to deal with that today. So now, with that thought in mind, I know that's a lengthy in, uh, introduction. I don't often do this, but I felt like I needed to. Would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? <clears throat> Verse number 12. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, we have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, then where's the hearing? Can you imagine a big old eyeball rolling into church? I can't help it. My mind works that way. So if the whole body were an eye, then where in the world would be the hearing, he says in verse 17? What if the whole body was an ear just for hearing? Then, then how would you smell? Where would the smell be? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, uh, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need for thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need for you. Nay, much more these members of the body seem which to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have uh, more abundant uh, comeliness, for our comely parts have no need. But God hath uh, tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. 
And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, then uh, the members rejoice with it. Now, ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondly prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then the gifts of healing and helps and governments and diversities of tongues. Uh, are they all, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gift of, gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all in Interpret, but covet, that is, earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, the best that I know how I yield myself to you, I pray that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word. And God, in doing so, I pray you'd encourage the church today. Lord, help us understand this text. And I pray that as we leave this place, God will be saying, Man, it's, it was good to be in the Lord's house today. And I pray you'd strengthen our church by recognizing some of the dangers that the church at Corinth got into. And then I pray, Lord Jesus, you would use our giftedness in the proper order here at Maysville. We love you, and God, thank you for loving us. Speak to our hearts now from your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to notice with me this morning what the church was doing. In, in chapters 12 through 14, this is a basic introduction. Paul is introducing, and, and basically just what he says is simply this. He says, we're all one body. Metaphoric language here. He says, we're the body of Christ, and there are many members that make up the body. We get that. And then what Paul does, beginning in verse number 15, in Paul, through metaphoric language, using, it, using this, this, uh, this figure of speech, is going to point out three problems that the church at Corinth were having concerning their spiritual gifts. They had three major issues that they were going through. And he tells us what they are through metaphoric language. Well, what are they? Let me show them to you if I could. Number one, the first one is they had the problem of gift envy. They had the problem of gift envy. At the heart of envy is pride. And in verse 15 through 20, Paul identifies the first abuse that these, that these church members were exercising amongst its membership. Gift envy basically says this. I wish I had your gift. I wish I had your gift. But the center of that wish is pride. A desire to have something that you cannot have. Why? Because God didn't give you that gift. And so it was an envious gift that they desired. They were envious about that to the point that it moved them into an area of sin. It is sin to desire somebody else's gift. Now, you see, the, uh, you see the gifts that are demonstrated before you. The gift of teaching from your pastor. The gift of evangelism from someone like David. And you might, be, and you might easily look, and let's take David as an example, say, man, I, 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 I just, I'm jealous of that. I, I really wish that I could do that. I really I, I, I want to be like him and try to pattern yourself after David. That'd be a sin. Thank God there's only one David. Can I get a witness? And I thank God there's only one you. What you must grasp and get a hold of is that just as God has equipped David to exercise his gift to its fullest potential, so too has God given you the gift that he's given you, and you should exercise it to its full potential. And so Paul is saying, don't suffer, church, from, the, from this problem of gift envy. You've got a deep problem with this. Notice what he says in verse 15, how he addresses it. He says, if the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, uh, I am not of the body. Is there, for, is there therefore not, is it therefore not of the body? You, you get the picture here. He's saying, think about this just for a minute. 
Can the, can the eye say to the hand, I don't need you? Or can the eye say to the hand, I wish I was you. I wish that I had fingers. How foolish would it be for an eye to have fingers? If God made you an eye, you're to see. If God made you a hand, you are to go and to do. If God made you fingers, you're to grasp. Grab. He's just simply saying, metaphorically speaking here, each individual member of the church has been given a specific area of ministry on which you are gifted. Use that gift for God's glory. Gift envy. Now, I want you to notice how Paul corrects it. I love the way he does this. Paul is so wise in his counsel to the church at Corinth. You can tell he loves them. You can tell he's getting frustrated a little bit. You can kind of sense it in the tone of his voice. But you see in his writing how deeply he loves the church at Corinth. And notice how he corrects this gift envy. The first thing he begins doing is he begins pointing to the present. Look at verse number 18. Let me show you what he does here. He says, but... Now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body. You see what he did there? Paul pointed to the present. If you have your pens, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, I'd underline the word now. But now, but is a change, it's a conjunction. He's changing here the thought process. He says now, what's he referring to? Your salvation. Now that you're born again, now that you're saved, now that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, God set the members, every one of them, in the body. He's saying God put you just exactly where he wants you, and he wants you to use that gift for his glory, for his honor, and for his praise. As a matter of fact, when you do a little word study of that word set there, it's a fascinating verb. It literally means to put in place. God has put you in the right place. He wants you at Maysville Baptist Church. He put you at Maysville Baptist Church. You're at Maysville Baptist Church. God put his children right where he wants them. Thank God you're here. You're here because God wants you here, number one. Number two, the second meaning of this word set means to make. What he's saying here is God made you just like he wanted to make you. There's nobody else like you. You're the only you that there is. Thank God there's no more shades in this planet. There's only one. Thank God there's no more uh, DeWitt David. There's only one. There's only one Lee Clay. There's only one Sean. There's only one John. There's only one David. I'm telling you, thank God there's only one of us. And God equipped us with everything we need from our personality all the way down to the pattern by which we get dressed. God made you who he wanted to make you. And God don't make any junk. I, look, I know it's bad English, but it's, 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 it's pretty good preaching. He says, I made you. I put you in the right place. I made you. And then watch this. The word set means a third thing. It means to fix and to establish. He's simply saying here by using this one word, God fixed you through the blood of Jesus Christ and is establishing you to work out your ministry in the local body of believers. That's what he's referring to, to the church here. He's just simply saying, look, you don't need gift envy. you've You've got the gift God wants you to have. He made you just to be you. Stop trying to be somebody else. You be you. I'm going to be honest with you. I struggled with this growing up as a young preacher. I can remember being young and looking at Adrian Rogers going, man, I want to preach like him. Jerry Vines, man, I want to preach like him. Uh, Johnny Hunt, man, I want to preach like him. 
Man, all that's fine and dandy, but here's the bottom line. I'm not Johnny Hunt. I'm, I'm not Adrian Rogers. I'm not Jerry Vines. I'm Shane Robertson. And God, and God had to wake me up to this. God equipped me, and he put me where I'm at. This is all his doing. This ain't my doing. He just wants me to be willing and open my hands up and exercise the gifts by which he's given me. And dear friend, he wants to do the same with you. He wants to exercise those same talents and gifts that he has within you. And be honest with you, it'd be very easy for me to get envious of some of your gifts. I mean, some of you are excellent, excellent, excellent greeters. Some of you are excellent at helps. Some of you are excellent in other areas that I'm not. And I might look at that, I might say, man, you know, they're really good at this. I wish I was as good as, that, as so-and-so was. And it's one thing to try to do better, but it's something totally different to be filled with pride and desire something you can't have. Paul points to the present. God gave you the gift he wanted you to have, and to be envious of somebody else's gift is a sin. Number two, the second thing he does is he begins focusing on God's pleasure. Watch this. Man, he is so wise. Look at what the Bible says in verse 18. He says, as it hath pleased him. He said, you can stick your lip out all day long. But it pleases God for you to have the gift that you have. So when are you going to please God with the gift that you have? Some of you, God's given you the gift of playing an instrument. Man, I'm going to be honest with you. You ought to be pushing me off the stage. There will be so many people up here. Did you, you realize this? By you getting up here, you free up another seat so somebody else can sit there? I mean, look, so, well, preacher, I, I hadn't picked up that trumpet in 20 years. Well, listen, it's just like riding a bicycle. When I bought that dirt bike for my boys, I, didn't, I hadn't ridden a dirt bike in my stars in I don't know how long. And I got on that thing, and did you realize that the first three or four times I rode that dirt bike, I didn't fall off? I just rode it. And I was in first gear, but I rode it. I said, did you fall? Of course I fall. Uh, did you break it? Well, of course I broke it. Are we fixing it? Of course we're fixing it. Am I going to get back on it? You better believe it. Unless the kids hide it from me. <laughs> the, the point is simply this. You're not perfect, okay? But pick up that instrument up and use it for God's glory. Some of you, God's called you to teach, and you're not teaching. I don't know why you're not. Maybe you got hurt. Maybe somebody hurt you. Or, or, or maybe somebody disagreed with you. Or maybe somebody didn't believe the same thing you believe. And, they, and you, just got, you just got sideways. Can I just say this? Get back straight ways and get back with Jesus. Focus on God's pleasure. He says, it pleases God when you do your ministry. Let me show you something in my pocket here. This is really, really, really cool. You see this right here? I got some lifesavers in my pocket right here. You see these lifesavers? I'm so thankful for these. I didn't bring them to church. I've got one member in this church, one, one member. He's not in this service. He's in the 930 service, and he's an usher. And every time that I come in, and I come around. I wish I could see him every week. I don't. But every time I come see him, he sticks his hand out and he puts these in my hand. And he ministers to me every single week. Every week. Or if I came every week, when I did come every week, now that we're in three services, I'm, I'm back there resting so I don't get to see him every week. But I went by and seen him today, and sure enough, there he was. What he did to me, ministering to me, is a great gift. 
came in just a few minutes ago, and as I came in, I had my bottle of water, and I had to get up here and uh, give that announcement or, or pray for the offering. And I had this water in my hand, and I didn't want to bring it up here, so I just handed it. Uh, I just handed it over there to Johnny Wilbanks. I said, would you mind holding this? Johnny held it for me. Didn't put it down. He held it for me. And I came back down, and he handed it back to me. He ministered to me today. That's the gift of helps. Exercise. This morning I came in. I really was, I was on the schedule to baptize. And I really wanted to baptize. But I was taking some notes. And I was changing up a few things. And God was just speaking to me. And I, I really needed to give him some attention. And I needed some help. I needed some help getting for baptism. I walked right in here. Went to Keith Barnett. I said, Keith, come here. And uh, Keith went back to the back. And I said, man, I need some help. Can you help me baptize? And uh, after he said, whoa, he said, yes. It was awesome. Awesome. That was a... Did y'all know that was the first time he ever did that? Couldn't even tell, could you? No. But the reason why is because he got a willing heart to do anything for Jesus. I applaud you, brother. That is how you serve the Lord. I'll do it. My first time, I'm not sure, but I'll do it for Jesus. And man, you did an awesome job. Awesome job. God took great pleasure in watching you exercise that gift. To God be the glory. Don't listen. If you're here today and you're suffering from guilt envy, or excuse me, gift envy, confess that as a sin today and get right with God. Number two. The second thing Paul does, it's found in verse 21 through 26. He deals with the second thing. What's the second thing he deals with? Gift elevation. Gift elevation. It's another problem the church was having. Remember, this is a corrective passage. And in, this ver- in these verses, Paul is dealing with the members of the church who say this. My gift is better than yours. They were treating others wrong because they were saying, my gift's better than yours. Because I have the gift of preaching or the gift of teaching, the gift of prophecy, because I stand up and proclaim, my gift is better than yours. Oh, no, 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 no. Paul says, no, that's gift elevation. And you're suffering from that. Look at what he says in verse 21. He says, And a change of thought. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need for you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble, that is more weak, are necessary. Again, he's using using this language, this metaphoric language to, to refer to the fact that there are people in the church that are suffering from guilt, gift, elevation, and they're elevating their gifts going, my gift's better than yours, na 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 And Paul says, that's wrong. You can't do that. If uh, uh, this issue of guilt envy, or gift envy, if that is self-pity, then this is self-promotion. I'm better than you. No, 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 you're not better than I am. Uh, This was causing great disunity in the church because these members were elevating their gifts higher and said, this is a better gift than the other. This is a better gift than that. And they were ranking the gifts. And Paul says, no, 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 no. No, you can't do that. You can't rank the gifts. And I want you to notice how he corrects this. He does two things beginning in verse 23 and 24. The first thing he does is he exposes what we cover. He exposes what we cover. Look at what the Bible says here in verse 23. He says, And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, uh, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant 
comeliness. Now, he is pointing to the body of Christ and he's saying we need to exalt these individuals that are giving away uh, lifesavers. We need to exalt them and say they're doing a good work and what they're doing is just as important as leading somebody in baptism. Just as important as preaching the gospel of the word of God. It's all vitally important. And the way that you know it's vitally important, he says, look at your own body and look what you give double honor to. So what do you mean? Well, the Bible is very, very explicit. If you have your pens, I want you to look at that, uh, that uh, little phrase there in verse 23 that says, less honorable. He says, we think to be less honorable. He says, and those members of the body... Now, that word members there is in italics. You see that? This is an important note. That, that word italics is an implied word. Okay? It's implied. So, uh, and those of the body, talking about our body, metaphoric language, which we think to be less honorable. The word less honorable is the Greek word private parts. The private parts of the body upon we, we bestow more honor. Now, I'm going to try to, I'm, I'm going to give you the G version, okay? I'm giving you the G version. Y'all hang in there with me. My belly button. Everybody wants to know if Adam had a belly button. I don't know, but I do. My belly button is covered. I got an undershirt on. I got a, a, a collared shirt, a tie, and a coat. Bless God, I've covered that thing up four ways. I've given it a more excellent position. I've covered it up. Let me see if I can help our ladies understand what I'm talking about. i got one word for you ladies. Spanx. We give it double honor. He says, we, we take care of it. We make sure that it's covered up. We want to be moral about it. And he says here, these parts, these less honorable parts, these private parts, if you would, we cover them up and we give them a more abundant honor. Why? Because we want it to be right. We want it to look right. And what Paul's saying here is, we need to make sure the body of Christ looks right. So quit saying your gift is better than everybody else's and hurting people. It's hurting the body of Christ. And if somebody's there passing out lifesavers, then thank God and exalt them and give them the honor that they need. So remember, Jesus had something to say about this. This is, Jesus taught this, Matthew 23, 11 and 12. Jesus said, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be humbled or abased. And he that humbles himself shall be exalted. He says, you're misusing your gift if you have gift elevation. And you say, my gift's better than you. That's a sin, he says. And you're doing it wrong. Number two, here's the second thing he does in exposing this. He exemplifies the command. He exemplifies the command. Verse 25 and 26. Look at what he says here. Don't miss this. He says that there should be no schism in the body. The word schism there means fracture. It means a broken part. He doesn't want the church to be broken. doesn't want our arm to be broken or any broken part like that. He says, but the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. I want to tell you what just happened just a few minutes ago. 
I told you that one of our deacons, Brother Keith Barnett, did his very first baptism today. And everybody in here, your countenance changed. You were like, wow, we couldn't tell. We did not know that. You all honored him with your countenance. And that brought glory to God. Why? Because he was honoring God by obeying the Lord. Now, I asked him, I said, Brother, can you do this? Can you, can you help me? Can you help me do this? And he said, yeah, I'll, I'll do anything for Jesus. And so Paul, he exemplifies the command. Watch the command. Let me show it to you because I don't want you to miss it. Look at verse 25 again. He says in the latter part of the verse, but, start right there, that the members should have the same care one for another. There's the command. The word care there is a command. It's in the present tense. It means today you ought to be caring for each other. It's in the active voice which puts the uh, responsibility on us as a church, as on them, on the church body. It's their responsibility to care for each other. I had, a, I had a new believer in Jesus Christ that needed to be cared for. Wes needed to be baptized. We needed to get some help in there caring for him. Keith jumped in just like that to, to volunteer to care for him. He cared for him. He presently, actively took the responsibility to care for this young brother and see that he was buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And watch this. I love this. It is, this word care is also in the subjective mood. Now, what does that mean, the subjective mood? The subjective mood is a case in meaning which means it covers every circumstance, good or bad. You know, this was a good circumstance. But what about a bad circumstance? Several years ago in the church, not this church, but uh, another church that I was pastoring, we had a very, very difficult situation that needed to be handled immediately. I mean immediately. It was on a Sunday and it had to be addressed that Sunday with a church member. Turned to the chairman of the deacons, explained to him the situation. He said, I'll take care of it. And immediately he went. It was a very hard, very difficult. And uh, it was weeks and weeks and weeks of gloom, despair, and agony on us. But it had to be handled that day while the gospel was being preached. And to God be the glory, that individual got right with God, got right with others. And thanks be unto God served the Lord the remainder of his day. The bottom line is just simply this. The sooner you use your gift, the more lost people we can reach for Jesus. The sooner you use your gift by caring for others. When you use your gift, you care for others. And the sooner you use your gift to care for others, the sooner we'll reach one more for Jesus Christ. Gift elevation. Don't say my gift is better than yours. Number three, here's the third and final point that Paul addresses this morning. And, I, and I'm done. Gift expectation. Gift expectation. Verses 27 through 31, Paul deals with gift expectation. Gift expectation simply says this. You should be like me and my gift. You should be like me and my gift. We, we see this here. Again, in verse number 27, Paul says, Now, you're the body of Christ and members in particular... Various different members. And I want everybody to be like you. 
And God had set some in the church, first apostles, second prophets, thirdly teachers, and after that miracles, then the gifts of healing, helps and governments and diversities of tongues. Let me say something parenthetically right here. Don't forget the context here. A lot of times we'll be sidetracked. We read that word, uh, diversities of tongues, and we think, oh Lord, oh my goodness, what in the world is he talking about? It's simple what he's talking about. Remember, Corinth is a hub. It's the wealthiest, richest, most immoral city in that area. It is the seat of the Roman providence, everybody and their brothers coming through there. You've got all different kinds of languages, all different. Diversity of language inside the city, and some of you can speak every one of them. Some of you can speak different dialects, and some of you are amazing in this, and you're needed in the church. He's not referring to some unknown spiritual tongue. He's referring to the fact that this is a language by which you understand and you can interpret that language. And then he starts asking these rhetorical questions. Are all apostles, prophets, teachers, workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of, the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire, covet earnestly, he says, the best gifts. And yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Now when you first read that, you're going... He is speaking out of both sides of his mouth. He just said that there is no gift better than the other one. What in the world are you doing here, Paul? Paul is doing what's called a play on words. He's wanting them to think about what he just said. And he's referring to this issue of gift expectation. You should be like me and my gift. Paul here is not contradicting himself. No, he's playing on words and pointing to the fact that they desire to have a greater gift when in fact the greatest gift they could have is the gift that God gave them. The greatest gift is inside of them. He spoke to that when he talked about this issue of care and using your gift. And he's going to refer to it even greater here in just a few minutes. Where, where's it at? Let me, show you. Let me show you where it's at. Look again in verse number 31. He, he says, But covet earnestly, earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Paul is basically saying... I want you to desire the gift that God has placed in you. And it is a great gift He's placed in you. He says, but I want you to look at me and I'm going to show you a, a more earnest, a more better way, an excellent way of using your gifts. Now, Paul, what in the world are you talking about here? If the best gift is inside of them, how are you trying to draw it out of them? I want you to notice three things Paul does here. If you run past it real quick, you'll miss it. Don't miss this. This is some good stuff in closing. Number one, the first thing Paul does here is he reiterates the truth. He reiterates the truth. Look again at what he says in verse 27. He says, now, <clears throat> you are the body of Christ and members in particular. Didn't he just say that? Notice what he says in verse number 12. He says, for as the, as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. He's reiterating that the body of Christ is one. This is exactly what he did in verse number 12. So the first thing Paul does is he reiterates the truth. Don't miss that. The truth is we are all one in Jesus Christ. Number two, the second thing he does is he restates the questions. 
he restates the questions. Did you notice the questions that he asked here in verses 29 and 30? These are very similar to the rhetorical questions that he asked in verse 15, 16, and 17. In verse 15, 16, and 17, he asked them in reference to the body, the physical body. It's a metaphor. In In these verses here, 29 and 30, he's referring to the church. He's connecting the two together by restating the question. Paul is bringing this metaphor together by saying, this is what I'm talking about. And then number three, he refreshed the church. He refreshed the church in verse 31. Now, look at it real quick. He says, but earnestly desire the best gifts. He has already said that the best gift that you have is inside of you. God gave it to you. He said that right over there in verse number 18. Now God hath set the members, every one of them in the body, that has pleased him. He's got you right where he wants you. He's given you the best gift. Seek that gift that God's given you. That's the best gift that's inside of you. Now watch this. I I love this part. Remember where Paul is. I stated this in my introduction. You remember where Paul is? Where did he write uh, this letter from? Ephesus, very good. He wrote this letter from Ephesus. He's on his third missionary journey, okay? And being on his third missionary journey, he says, I am showing you a more excellent way. Now, how do you know it's in the present tense? Look at your Bibles. In verse number 31, he says, And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. The word show, S-H-O-W, and if you got the King James, it's S-H-E-W. That word right there is in the present tense. What Paul is saying is, when you look at my life today, church, today I am showing you a more excellent way to use your gifts for the glory of God. He's not saying the gift is better. He's saying, I'm showing you an excellent way to live your gift out before the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way that he does this is he lists, if you would, in verse 28, all these gifts... Now, I want you to notice this. This is not an extensive list, but what this list is, is what Paul is. Look at it. Is Paul an apostle? Yes. Uh, Does Paul have the gift of prophecy? Yeah, he's proclaiming the gospel. Does Paul have the gift of teaching? Yeah, look in all the epistles. He's got the gift of teaching. Uh, does, uh, Does Paul do miracles? Yes, Acts chapter 19, verse 11 and 12. Does Paul heal people? Yes, Acts chapter 28, verse 8. Uh, Does Paul help people? Yes, look, all the epistles, every one of them. Does Paul participate in church government? Yes, not only that, he participated in uh, Roman government as well. Uh, Does Paul Paul speak uh, different languages? Yeah, he does. As a matter of fact, we're right here. Look at what he says in chapter 14, verse 18. He says in chapter 14, verse 18, he says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than any of you. And then he goes on to say, yet in the church I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words of an unknown tongue. I thank God I can speak more languages than you guys. So does it, yes, he speaks in tongues. But Paul says, I am exercising a gift that if you'll look at my life, I didn't even mention. What is that gift? The gift that Paul's referring to is the gift of obedience. Paul desired 
to be with the Corinthians. But he wasn't there. Why? Because he was on a missionary journey. But why was he on a missionary journey? Because God told him to go. Paul says the greatest gift, the greatest cure for gift envy, gift elevation, and gift expectation is the gift of obedience. Obey God and go tell somebody about Jesus. Use your gift to share the gospel with somebody else. The word show there is in the present tense. Today, he says, I'm showing you. It's in the active voice, which puts the emphasis on Paul. Paul is the subject. He says, I, Paul, I'm the one you need to look at for a more excellent way to demonstrate your gifts instead of suffering from gift envy, gift elevation, and gift expectation. Look at what I'm doing. I'm obeying God, and I'm serving, and I'm using my gifts to serve God. But also, it's in the indicative mood, which means it's a simple statement of faith. It's a simple statement of faith. Paul's not arguing. He says, this is the facts. You cannot charge me with, with preaching or teaching something that I'm not willing to do myself. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. I'm going. I was with you. Now I'm over here in Ephesus. I'm on my third missionary journey. Paul says, look at my life. You're over there in Corinth and you're fighting over guilt envy. You wish that you had somebody else's gift. You're fighting over gift elevation. You think your gift is better than somebody else's. And you're dealing with gift expectation when you're saying your gift should be like me. No, each and every person God has given a special gift to. And God wants you to use that gift to the fullest potential in the church of Jesus Christ. And the way that you do that is by obedience. In two weeks... On the 17th of this month, every Sunday school class will be doing a gift uh, inventory to see what your spiritual gift might be. Maybe you're struggling. You say, man, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. How can I figure that out? We're going to help you. On the 17th in Sunday school, let me encourage you to be in Sunday school that day. They'll be giving out spiritual gift inventory. You take that gift, <clears throat> but that's not the only way to figure out what your gift is. <clears throat> No, you need to be doing something. You'd be getting involved in ministry. For example, in the lobby today, I'm highlighting our preschool and nursery. I made mention of that uh, in my announcement time uh, just to say that we need help there. If we're going to move to one service, we, we need to have more people serving and rotating in and out of the ministry. It'd be good to have that anyway because I'm going to be honest with you. Nobody needs to serve uh, every single Sunday and not be in the worship service. We need to be in the worship service. Yes, you need to serve, but you also need to be in worship. You need to be worshiping together. There's that unity that exists when we do so. And so we can't fully be the church if you're not using your gift. So today I'm highlighting preschool ministry and the nursery ministry. And I'm asking you as you leave today, stop by the table. Ask some questions. Maybe you don't need that. Maybe you're ready to put your yes on the line. You're ready to sign up. Sign up today and get trained so we can get you plugged in so somebody can be in here and hear the teaching of the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God. Some of you need to be involved in faith. You, haven't, you know that's where God wants you to be, you just, and you're scared. It's okay. It's all right. But don't let that fear control you. You're greater than that. So I'm terrified. I was with someone this past week. We, we were just talking. I, said, Man, I was terrified when I first began this, and now I'm just scared. That's the way it is. I, look, I've been doing over 20 years. I've been doing it. It's the same way. Same way. I was terrified when I started. Now I'm just scared. 
And the bottom line is just simply this. Thank God we have that. Because we're willing to step outside our comfort zone and tell somebody the greatest news of all, and that's that Jesus loves them. And whether we do that just by handing out a tract, whether we do that by serving them a meal, whether we do that by ministering to them in a particular way, or teaching them, or whatever gift God has given you, do it for the glory of God. Let's bow for prayer. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never, ever, ever saw this passage of Scripture. And I got a text in between services. People are watching from all over the world and got a text in between services that just said, Wow, I have never, never looked at that passage of Scripture. I had never seen that. That is absolutely incredible. The language and and that... uh, uh, metaphoric language that Paul uses there is amazing. It really is. It really is. But I'm going to be honest with you. The greatest gift of all is the gift of Jesus Christ. And today, like Paul, Paul says, look to me, I show you a more excellent way, the way of obedience. Maybe today you've never obeyed the Lord and gotten saved. Dear friend, today's the day of salvation. Today's the day when you give your heart to Jesus. Right where you're sitting, would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Today I repent and I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I will live for you in Jesus' name.